You're listening to a podcast from Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church. This is highlights from our weekly service. Welcome to Northern Lights MCC. We are part of a worldwide Christian denomination who believe in the essential Christian message that the love of God is for everyone. You are very welcome if this is your first time or if you are regular at this church online, in person, on our podcast. Welcome. Most of the things that you need for the service will be on the screen in front of you, but you may wish to have a candle to light during the prayers or some bread and wine or biscuits and juice to have during our time of communion. Please feel free to take part in as much or as little as you feel comfortable with. Let us take a moment to still ourselves in God's presence and let go of all that this week has brought us. Amen. This Sunday we are continuing with our theme of living faith. We are the church. And over the past month we have heard from various different people on what they think that means and how that relates to to real life and being out in the in the world. Tonight we're going to hear from Morgan and he's going to use the Gospel of Matthew and the Book of Proverbs to guide us a little bit further and particularly to think about democracy and how we can respond to this as Christians trying to do God's work in the world. Let us pray as we begin our service. Loving God, open our hearts to the Spirit, that we might, with your help, discern the meaning of the Gospel and carry this out into the world. Amen. We're now going to hear readings from Carol, Lily and Johnny, have another hymn, and hear from Morgan with his sermon, and Judith, lead us in prayer. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offences. Lying lips conceal hatred, and whoever utters slander is a fool. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but the prudent are restrained in speech. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The mind of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and she adds no sorrow with it. Doing wrong is like sport to a fool, but wise conduct is pleasure to a person of understanding. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first gospel reading is taken from Matthew. Chapter 7, verses 1 to 5. Do not judge, so that you may not be judged. For the judgment you make, you will be judged. And for the measure you give, will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbour's eye, but not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can I say to your neighbour, let me take the speck out of your eye, 
whilst the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbour's eye. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second Gospel reading is from Matthew chapter 21 verses 23 to 32. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued with one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the sex workers are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the sex workers believed him, and even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Shall we pray? Creator God, as we come before you this evening, we confess that we have lacked consideration for our colleagues, our friends and our families. In putting our personal perspective above all others, we have let people down, we have let ourselves down and we have let you down. But we take comfort from your love for us from your willingness to forgive us and from your offer to help us see another perspective as we try again to follow your teaching. We ask you to open our minds and our hearts as we reflect on the words of your gospel. Amen. Well, I hope that you are sitting comfortably and that you are feeling relaxed. Not so relaxed that you doze off while I'm speaking. But on the other hand, I'm certainly not planning to cause you any distress. It's not good for my blood pressure or indeed for yours to get very upset by something we are watching on television. But I suspect that I'm not alone in losing my cool sometimes while looking at the screen. 
In particular, I confess to having quite a few times shouting at the television when a politician blatantly fails to answer a specific question. I've noticed that politicians have various tactics for dealing with a question they don't really want to answer. One tactic sometimes used by politicians is what I call the tangential response, just going away off on a tangent. They try to deflect the question asked by answering a different question to the question asked, but which looks like it has just enough loose connection to make the response just about relevant. An example of a question might be, what verse in the Bible is particularly important for you? To which the answer might be a solemn, the Bible has been a source of great strength to countless people over the centuries. Mm. But the answer to the original question is... Another tactic is sometimes called the whataboutery response, where the person being questioned responds to the original question with an allegation about the questioner or even about somebody else. What about you then? An example of a question might be, as someone who has been married three times, are you being hypocritical when you tell people that same-sex marriage is wrong because marriage must be between only one man and one woman? To which the answer might be, and what about your policy that sex workers should have greater protection? Huh? But what has that to do with my question? So once again, I'm tempted to throw something at the screen. At first sight, it looks as if our Gospel reading today shows Jesus responding to a difficult question with the answer of a politician. A question came from the chief priests and the elders. By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered with a response which seemed to go off on a strange tangent. Jesus said, I'm very interested in the question of the source of authority and in particular, the authority of John the Baptist. Mm -hmm. But they had asked a specific question about the authority of Jesus. Jesus combined this tangential approach with a little whataboutery. He replied, you ask me the source of my authority, let me first ask you a question. How did you react to John the Baptist? What about John the Baptist? Huh? But they had asked a specific question about the authority of Jesus. So at first sight, Jesus might appear to be uh, talking like a rather skilled, smooth-talking politician. 
but you won't be surprised when I tell you that I think there is a lot more to this account than might first appear. It was the job of the chief priests and the elders to control what happened in the temple. This included ensuring that worshippers only heard approved interpretations of scripture from approved preachers. Heretics were silenced. And how could dubious speakers be distinguished from reliable Jewish speakers? Well, a priest or a rabbi was required to lay hands in a formal ceremony on candidates judged to be worthy enough to speak in the temple. Without this formal accreditation, any speaker could be shown the door, let alone one like Jesus, who had been challenging their administration of the temple. So the elders were quite confident on the ground when they asked Jesus, effectively asked him to show them his papers, his evidence of a permit to speak. They knew that Jesus did not have such a permit. Therefore, they thought that Jesus was nicely trapped. If he said he didn't need a permit because he had some sort of dispensation from God, they would get him for blasphemy, alleging that he was placing himself as some sort of heretical prophet. But the response of Jesus was not, as might first appear, a clever way of avoiding their question. He actually did answer their question very explicitly. When Jesus told them that he would not tell them by what authority he was doing these things, he was actually directly challenging what they regarded as their sole authority to decide who might address people on religious matters. By his response, Jesus basically admitted that he did not have their authority and he also asserted that he had no interest in seeking their authorization. The refusal of Jesus to even respond to the request to show his papers was a remarkable declaration of independence. He hadn't avoided a difficult question because he would rather they hadn't asked it. On the contrary, by drawing attention to their duplicity in relation to John the Baptist, he asserted his independence of the elders in a manner which was particularly revealing and particularly strong. But this was only the warm-up act. Jesus then told them the parable of the two sons. One son, and let's call him the first son, refused his father's request to work in the vineyard, but later changed his mind and did the work anyway. The other son, the second son, immediately agreed to his father's request, but never got around to doing the work. Jesus then asked, it's not quite clear who he asked, but probably he was still talking to the shell-shocked priests and elders, Jesus asked, which of the two sons 
did the will of the Father. This time, the elders were more confident that they could anticipate what Jesus would regard as the correct answer. It looked like a straightforward binary choice. This son or that son? Which of the two sons did the will of the father? The elders smugly replied, the first son, the one who actually did the work. Now, perhaps it might look as if there might be very little room for doubt. Surely the answer of the elders to the question, who did the will of the father, could not be the second son who did not do the job. But was it the first son, the son who did the job, even though he didn't do it very gracefully? Was he the one who did the will of the father? As we know, the Jewish elders were renowned for their veneration of process, even to the point where substance appeared to matter less than strict adherence to proper formalities. In selecting the first son, who had more substance, rather than the second son, who presented himself rather better, the elders could be said to be starting on a road to enlightenment. Because it might appear strange to us today, but Jesus and the disciples might have expected the elders to choose the second son, the son who looked more respectful and respectable. But the elders did choose the first son. Was this the correct answer to the question, which of the two sons did the will of the father? Once again, what was not said by Jesus was just as significant as what Jesus actually said. Jesus did not say, you are correct, the first son did the will of the father. Once again, Jesus was making a very important point, which many of his listeners may have missed. He didn't say it in so many words, but the context indicates that the answer is more complicated. The answer is that there is no right answer. The truth is that neither son is blameless. Both had failed to honour their father as required by the Ten Commandments. So the starting point is that both sons had fallen short of what was required. But the end point is that neither son is beyond redemption. Both could be forgiven if there is genuine repentance. But it's not a matter for human judgment to know whose level of repentance is greatest. It's not the nature of the sin that is significant because everyone is a sinner. It's the nature of repentance which is significant. And only God knows about that. It follows that to use the words of Jesus, some surprising people may be going into the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. 
Surprise, surprise, the people going into the kingdom of heaven first are those you might least expect, such as the most blatant sinners. To the listeners of Jesus, there was a shorthand term for these blatant sinners. They were called the tax collectors and the prostitutes. To his listeners, any reference to tax collectors and prostitutes was shorthand for the people regarded as the lowest of the low, people of low moral character who could be, not be relied on to do what they should. Typically, they're the sort of people who will tell you they will do a job and then will let you down. But beneath the radar, these sort of despised people might actually be doing what is asked, following the teachings of Jesus and going into the kingdom of head, kingdom of God ahead of the others. Northern Lights Metropolitan Community Church is an inclusive church for sinners. We assume everybody has sinned. All are welcome, whatever our past and whatever our current situation. We try not to be judgmental about each other. So for me, today's Gospel reading reaffirms there is a place in the Kingdom of God for all of us. Human first impressions can be very deceptive. For those who may not be in favour with the establishment, the sort of people who at the time of Jesus were called tax collectors and prostitutes, the sort of mouthy, difficult people who, like the first son, have so many redeeming qualities that they have a special place in the eyes of God. But there is also a place for those who always appear to be more pleasant people, but who are in practice not reliable, not faithful, even two-faced. Today's parable envisages that there can be a pathway to the kingdom of heaven for both sons, for both sorts of people, for all sorts of people. And it's not up to us to have a rank order of who is more worthy than whom. Through the parable of the two sons, Jesus was delivering a simple message. Don't be judgmental. In our other excerpt from Matthew from chapter 7, we read a similar strong message about being judgmental. Why do you see the speck in your neighbour's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye, you hypocrite? First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbour's eye. Maybe that's also a thought for some of the politicians we mentioned earlier, and especially as we focus this week on the International Day of Democracy. We may have become so disenchanted with politics in the United Kingdom and in other Western countries that we find it difficult to muster enthusiasm for such an event. And when we feel like that, it's probably helpful to remind ourselves of some words made famous by Churchill. Democracy is the worst form of government, except for all the others. So I think that we are not being asked by the United Nations to venerate any particular constitutional arrangement which exists somewhere in the world today, 
but we're being asked to go back to basics and appreciate the underlying democratic principles which might attract more widespread support. According to Abraham Lincoln, democracy is direct self-governance over all the people, for all the people, by all the people. That seems to me to be a charter for mutual recognition among the people. It's a sort of implicit contract. The minority respects the place of the majority to lead the country's affairs. In return, the majority undertakes not to abuse its position and to be respectful of minorities. Without this second strand, many of us are in danger of suffering the potential harmful consequences of an elected dictatorship. Minorities do matter. I know this is not, not an ideal met anywhere currently on earth, but surely it's worth the United Nations reminding ourselves of the ideals we aspire to. That the mutual respect of one another should be our aim within all aspects of society, including our politics, as well as in our churches and among our friends and acquaintances. Just as none of us is perfect in our private life, none of us has a monopoly of wisdom in relationship to current affairs. When one politician condemns utterly everything his opponent stands for, what happened to mutual respect? Such a politician might benefit from reflecting on the words of Jesus. First, take the log out of your own eye then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbour's eye. A politician may call his or her opponents tax collectors and prostitutes, and these days often even more derogatory language can often be tossed around. But the human objects of hate could well be, and probably are, more honourable than the pretentious purveyors of hate. It's true that Jesus didn't live in a democracy as we would understand it, but that does not mean that the Gospels have nothing relevant to say about how civic society might be better conducted. Jesus said, first take the log out of your own eye, because the tax collectors and prostitutes are going into the kingdom of heaven ahead of you. Similarly, the Proverbs of Solomon date from a very long time ago, but they contain more than a grain of truth. May I remind you of a few examples from the list of Proverbs we heard earlier. The prudent are restrained in speech. On the other hand, whoever speaks slander is a fool. Lying lips may conceal hatred, and hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offences. Or in the words of a more recent commentator, when someone is cruel or acts like a bully, you don't stoop to their level. No, 
Our motto is, when they go low, we go high. I must try to remember this the next time I'm tempted to throw something at the television. We come now to the time when we speak to God directly and from our hearts, in the company of our siblings who are sharing this time with us, and on behalf of our whole community of faith. The response to, O God, in your mercy, is, please hear our prayer. O God, in your mercy, please hear our prayer. Please light the candle that you have prepared to recognise those who are infected or affected by the HIV virus and who suffer the pain, the sorrow and the bereavement which AIDS can bring. Let us ask God to soften the hearts of all those who have it in their power to relieve the anxiety and the struggle of these conditions. O God, in your mercy, please hear our prayer. Let us remember before God all who have had a positive test for COVID-19, that there will be sufficient resources and the staff to ensure the best care possible for them. O God, in your mercy, please hear our prayer. We remember all the refugees and asylum seekers who seek refuge on our shores and the 38 million people displaced from their homes across the world who have had to leave everything they hold dear. We especially pray for our siblings in our church community and for all LGBT plus people across the world who face discrimination and worse at the hands of their governments. O God, in your mercy, please hear our prayer. September the 15th is World Democracy Day and we remember all who live powerless under regimes which deny human rights to their citizens. Let us pray for the day to come soon when all people are self-determining and where the power is vested in the people by democratic voting systems. O God, in your mercy, please hear our prayer. Let us thank God for our beautiful world and dedicate ourselves to its protection from the ravages of human actions which seek only to make profit from its beautifully balanced ecosystems. O God, in your mercy, please hear our prayer. Let us pray for all the people who are named in our church prayer book and for the needs and the longings of our whole Northern Lights community. O God, in your mercy, please hear our prayer. Now let us join with Jesus 
in saying the prayer which he gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Let us say together the grace. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Go in the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Thank you for listening to our podcast. For more information about what we do, you can find us on social media or visit our website, northernlightsmcc.org.uk.